sweet of him. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. So this isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. Zencaster is a modern web-based solution for high-quality audio and video podcast production. With a full suite of professional tools, Zencaster allows podcasters to quickly and seamlessly record their guests remotely and produce their podcasts in studio quality. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. Hi, this is Sean Cahill. And you're listening to that UFO podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to that UFO podcast. My name is Andy. We're going to end July and begin August with some big names. We have Avi Loeb coming up talking about the Galileo project. Then Ross Coulthard will be joining me to discuss his book In Plain Sight. And that's as well as other shows like our update pods and a listener call-in show that I'm hoping to have a very special guest as part of as well. Before all that, a highly anticipated guest finally joins me on the podcast. In recent years, there are not many people who have done more to bring credibility and highlight the subject in the mainstream than this man. Researcher, director, full-time father, I've got James Fox with me on the pod. James, welcome to the podcast. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on. And I was just going to tell you earlier that I admire your tenacity because um, I remember when I got... uh, a big break back in the 90s, I managed to get an interview with Edgar Mitchell, a sixth man to walk on the moon. And uh, I'd probably written to him 50 times, 60 times, called, written, everything, old posts. And um, he finally agreed to meet with me and I was walking in his backyard with his horses. And I said, Dr. Mitchell, and I was so starstruck, I said, Dr. Mitchell, I, 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 can't, I can't thank you enough for you know, providing me the opportunity. Why did you, why did you agree? You know, why did you finally agree to the interview? And he said, because I realized you wouldn't go away. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. I, I don't think it was quite 60 times. I probably hit in the 50 mark no, between, no, between no, emails, no, text messages, and DMs. <laughs> no, I admire so much because, you know, um, I... I really try to get back to everybody. I, I am so honored to have people reach out and even remotely interested in, in, in promoting what I do or just talking with me. But honestly, you know, you get waves of, of interest and you, and you know, you put a movie out and it's hopefully popular and you get a lot of interest and people want to interview and it's quite intense. It's hard to keep up with. Right. And you don't want to be rude and not get back to people because it's, that's, rude but at the same time sometimes it's just not possible to get back to everybody do you know what i mean yeah life life gets in the way and i've talked about that on the podcast a few times that no matter who you are in this subject it's a james fox a lou elizondo a chris mellon george knapp whoever 
you you finish an interview and whether it's TV, podcasting or whatever, you've got a family to go back to or a life to go back to. You've still got to pay bills and people can kind of miss that a little bit. So I'm still learning to try to balance the balance the life. But it gets me to places like this where I get to talk to people like you. So I'm not complaining. Oh, cool. yeah. You know, I, I, I'm enjoying the ride myself. You know, I'm just, I, I'm just Joe Public that just decided to try to find out answers about the phenomenon. I was fascinated. I still am fascinated by it. And, um, uh, you know, uh, I'm just enjoying the ride. That's all I can say. <laughs> well, listen, that enthusiasm comes across. And just last week, you were on Jimmy Church. And I've caught that. And I'm sure many listeners have already as well. I'm going to try and not tread on too much of the background because I would suggest if you want to hear that, go and listen to James on Jimmy Church. It was a really good conversation, a good interview, and there was a lot of good information on there as well. I've got a ton of listener questions I want to try and get through to give those people a voice and a chance to speak to you, Um, not directly, but obviously through myself. And I've got some other questions for you as well. James, very quickly though, just to fill this in, a bit of background. Uh, You grew up in England, I believe, uh, Essex, is that right? I was born in Exeter. Exeter, that's the one. And it was yeah, my grandmother lived in Wellington near Taunton. Mm-hmm. And I've got all my family lives in, in most of my family li- lives in England. Now, your your father was a big influence on you growing up. And it, it's funny to hear you talk about when you told him you were going to make a documentary on UFOs. And he was like, oh, don't do that. And obviously it's turned out okay for you. Yeah. How- you know, well, it's funny, actually, because he used to say to me prior to that, Son, my dad was paralyzed from the neck down and, and uh, waist down most of my adult life. And, and um, But he would say to me, son, I don't care if you want to be a, a, a garbage man or a lawyer or a doctor. I just want you to be happy. He'd always say that to me. I'll never, I, you know, all, all the time. So then when I told him I wanted to do a documentary on UFOs, I was shocked to see how unsupportive he was. Not only unsupportive, he was desperately trying to get me to not do it. Did that drive you, though, to to get those first documentaries made and, you know, out of the blue and your first pieces? Was that yeah. a, a driving factor in that, almost to prove him a little bit wrong? Absolutely. <laughs> it totally backfired for him, you know. <laughs> I, I had said this on a podcast somewhere and people criticized me for it, but I'm a Taurus and I've Taurus is kind of, they're kind of stubborn. I mean, we kind of are, I mean, we just, um, you know, I, the harder something gets, the, the harder I push, you know, not to say other people don't do the same thing, but Tauruses are kind of known for that, you know? And I think that, um, that propelled me even, even, even harder. What is it that propels you now? Because you've had success, you know, you've got those documentaries available on streaming services around the world, you know, you've had number one documentaries on Apple, you know, on iTunes and and various other platforms. You've got a theatrical release coming out, a short theatrical release for the phenomenon. I heard about that. I live across the ocean, so can't quite make it, but you can talk about that as well. What still propels you through each of these to keep going? You know, it's a great question. And I have felt disappointed with every previous documentary I've done on the topic. I did a film called 50 Years of Denial. It was the first film I did. It took me roughly four years. I sold it to 
Discovery Communications, uh, TLC broadcast it. My my father was kind of shocked, you know, that I that I pulled it off. Uh, then I did out of the blue, but I was like mildly uh, satisfied. And then I did out of the blue, and I remember when I finished. Well, when I was almost wrapping up out of the blue. I was like, this film isn't, it, it's not where I wanted it to be. It's not the vision that I had had. But my partner, Boris, was in a fetal position crying. We'd been going probably the better part of five years, and his wife was screaming at me, you're killing my husband, you know. And, and This film is done. We're done. We were all broke. And, you know, and, but at the back of my mind, I was like, mm, it's not quite, it's not what the film I set out to, to make. So uh, and I'm getting to your answer, uh, get your question in a moment. And so um, at the time, I just said, all right, well, I'll just I'll put the film out, not satisfied, and then I'll, you know, maybe revisit. And then three years later, when the uh, we sold it to NBC Universal and it was broadcast on the Sci-Fi Channel, when I owned it again, I decided that I would revisit that film and um, try to make it closer to the, the, the vision that I, that I had. And, uh, and it got closer. And I re-released it as the director's cut. But still, I was like, eh. And then I tried again with I Know What I Saw. And I worked really hard on I Know What I Saw. I probably spent five years on that one. Um, and I almost sold it to a uh, Lionsgate, which would have given it a global, you know. Uh, but the production values kind of fell short and they ended up taking a pass and I sold it to A&E and it was broadcast on the History Channel. It was a History Channel special, two hours. And I remember being kind of disappointed there. And uh, my dad was like, yes, son, but look at what you did do. Forget about what you didn't do. Look at what you did do. He kept saying that to me. He was very supportive at this point. But anyway, so when I did The Phenomenon, I said, I'm not going to make those mistakes again. And I'll, if I can't afford it, I'll wait until I raise the money to do it right hire a professional, you know, camera guy and audio and lighting. And uh, I finished the phenomenon. It took me seven and a half years. And um, I said to myself, I did it. I'm fully satisfied with this film. This is the film that I've been trying to do for 27 years. Now what? Well, it, it's funny because my filmmaking is more of a, a personal journey of mine than I share with the general public. You know what I mean? I want answers. I've never done this for the money. This is something that I'm incredibly passionate about. I mean, I, I'm so curious. I really want to know what's going on. Unfortunately, I'm coming to the realization that I probably will never know what's going on. <laughs> people, you know what people, I mean? will, people will hate you saying that, but that there's that there's that chance. It's an honesty that uh, you know we may never find out as I much know, as it seems to be. And I close, really want to know. Don't get me wrong. I'm doing everything I can to find out, <laughs> but I'm coming to the realization. It's like, am I gonna know? <laughs> you know. Um, I mean, I kind of have an, in, in, an inkling, but still. But so, in any case, um, am I? I'm satisfied with the film, but now I want to do another film, and this time I want to explore more the intelligence behind the phenomenon, the technology behind the phenomenon. These are things that I want answers to, and I think it's a natural progression uh, with uh, you know for a sequel. 
And is that you mentioned that on Jimmy Church, the, the phenomenon to, uh, let's call it its working title at the moment, if that's what yeah. it's going to be. And is, is that what you're thinking then? It's going to be your journey into working out or trying to look at the intelligence behind what may be behind some of these objects, some of these entities and, and, and the like? Yeah, you know, um, work with Jacques Vallée and, uh, and uh, other scientists that can talk about the, the propulsion, the observed technology. I think they kind of understand, from what I gather, how it works, but they don't know how to replicate that. That's my understanding. So, um, and also, you know, you look at what they do, but then you look at what they don't do, and that speaks volumes. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, that's going to be my next step. Um, and after that, I don't know how I'll feel. Maybe I'll be like, well, I've done what I can do, and I'll move on to something else. I don't know. <laughs> no, listen, I won't ask you too much about the phenomenon, the first one, because you've you've done that media run, you've talked about it at length, and I've got right. some questions from the listeners on that as well. Oh, fair enough, yeah. However, you, you've mentioned uh, Jacques Vallée, and I've heard a few interviews you've done uh, here in the UK. You spoke with Hubbard Hughes on The Unexplained, yes. and you mentioned how getting Jacques Vallée on board for the phenomenon opened up a lot of doors for you as well. Now, Jacques Vallée is a very credible name, been in this this subject this field for decades now both he and gary nolan feature quite prominently in the phenomenon and jack is carrying around samples with him almost like they're a child like a baby and um, he's very protective of them that seems to have gone very very quiet have you heard or got any follow-up at all to to those samples that testing and what we can or can't expect to hear yeah, so everything was going great, and then the um, the uh, coronavirus hit, and Gary Nolan received notification from the White House uh, to study the virus in the lab because that's what he does. Mm-hmm. And so he pushed all his other things that he had and uh, and and focused on the virus. So that that you know lost a year. Um, uh, I'm, I'm sure that uh, they're picking back up again, but but we lost a year, so sure, that's that's what happened. That that's fair. That's good to clear that up because it's been one of those things, especially with the Jacques Vallée and Paola Harris book that came out. Initially, it was just Jacques' name attached to it. If you went off of the Amazon page, then it became this whole uh, Paola was attached to it as well. The book came out. Everyone thought it was going to be about the materials and analysis and that was a bit of a letdown for some people. So that's good to hear that's still in the works. You mentioned before some of your documentaries tend to take you about five years to come to fruition. Are we looking at five more years before we see the phenomenon too? That's a great question. You're the first person to ask me that. Uh, so I'm just trying to think how much I can talk about this. Uh, um, I'm, I've teamed up with a fairly... Uh, uh, big crew of, of professionals, people that are much smarter than me, because uh, that's what you want to surround yourself with, right? And, uh, and we have discussed that exact aspect. Um, and I wanted to partner with um, a production company that can really accelerate the process. Writer, 
researchers, of course, all oversee every bit of it and make sure it, it, it maintains integrity and accuracy and all that. But um, we're talking about a turnaround of 18 months. Okay, so that's pretty good. And within that time, you are currently researching for your your next project, which will oh, yeah. be out before then, which is going to be on the Brazilian incident. Um, yes. You've talked a little bit about this, but if you don't mind, just for the listeners who may not have heard the detail or, or want to hear a bit of an update, what's going on with the Virginia incident in Brazil? Yeah, absolutely. So I will uh, start off with a caveat that I don't expect any one of your listeners uh, or viewers uh, to believe any of this because I didn't. But um, in 1996, there was an alleged UFO crash in Virginia, Brazil, which is about four and a half hours to the north of Sao Paulo. And I can never say that right. I think it's Sao Paulo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, I remember the first time I heard about it was in the late 90s. And my partner, Tim Coleman, I did Out of the Blue with, He's like, oh, yeah, this UFO crash, and there were beans walking around the town. Come on, you know. And I didn't even ask any more questions. And then about five, six years after that, I was going to Brazil because I was invited to uh, speak at a conference. And a friend of mine who's quite a credible guy, he was like, oh, if you're going to Brazil, you've got to look into the Virginia case. And I was like, sure, I'll look into the Virginia case. Not, you know. Went to went to Virginia. I'm sorry. I went to to Brazil. I went to a place called Peruíbe, and uh, I went with Stanton Friedman. Funny enough, we rode a, a taxi together, a, a several hour car ride from Sao Paulo, and uh, there was a an island off the coast of Peruíbe. You could see it from where we were staying, and apparently uh, it had these deadly snakes. But the venom was worth a lot of money. But it was the only place on Earth. And so these poachers would go to the island to steal the venom from these snakes. And half of them apparently would die because the snakes would drop out of the trees and kill them. But in any case, while I was there with Stanton Friedman, I met some witnesses from Virginia. And I was like, okay, this, this is interesting. I'm, my interest is kind of peaked. Um, and then I went back to, to uh, Brazil and I went to Virginia and then I went back a third time, and now I'm going back a fourth time. And now, after meeting with the witnesses, meeting with military, I met with a general and put two generals, and I met with a lot of the primary witnesses. I'm convinced that um, something truly uh, otherworldly took place in 1996, and it looks like a crash that we're being survived. Now it's. It's a great story. It's got all the attributes you would want to hear in an incredible case. Now, I know you spoke to one of the generals who, am I right in saying in the timeline, he has since passed on, but yes. he, he said to you, it happened. When you asked him, tell me about it off the record, and obviously you, you could talk about that. Now, yeah, that's not well, me breaking, breaking news, because you talked about that on Jimmy Church, but was, yeah, was so, that what sold it for you? Well... You know, you got a general in the Air Force, Jose Carlos Pereira. You can look him up, Google him, a Brazilian Air Force general. And uh, during the interview, I interviewed him on camera and I have photographs of us with him. 
he, he didn't really want to go into Virginia very much. In fact, very little. It was kind of a situation where I can neither confirm nor deny. Uh, and he would talk about the existence of UFOs and, and, and that sort of thing and some very compelling cases in Brazil, particularly this one case in 1986, another case uh, in the 70s, I think it was late 70s, Operacion Plato on a series of islands, very compelling stuff. But uh, in any case, after the interview, I was walking with him with this Marco Leal um, buddy of mine, translator. And I said to the general through the translator, I, I, I swear on my life, there are no recording devices or cameras rolling. And we were walking to the car to his, he had a driver. And, um, and I looked him dead in the eyes, which I do oftentimes when I really want to get the truth out of somebody. And I said, can you tell me what happened? You know, what, tell me about Virginia. And he kind of looked at us and he paused and he said, it happened. And he got in the car and off, off they drove. It's those types of levels of confirmation. There are no cameras rolling. He's not trying to sell a story. Why on earth would he, you know, tell me that? Of course, coupled with all the interviews I've done with the witnesses, um, I would say that was a level of confirmation, personal confirmation that, that really uh, keep, keeps you going. Now, I'm going to draw similarities to the Trinity book from Jacques Vallée and Paola Harris. Uh, I met have, those witnesses, by the way. I interviewed both of them. From Trinity? Yes. I right. met both of those witnesses. That's good. And I know you're saying you've had the opportunity to meet them, look them in the eye, which can be a big tell for people. Now, the, the big controversy from that book is given how long ago it happened, much of it is based on the word of witnesses who at the time were children, and Paola pins a lot of the fact on children don't lie. And I'm going to come back to my point. They were children at the time. They're not children now. They're, they're obviously far, far older. Now, there's no evidence, there's no photographic or video evidence from what happened back in the 40s at the Trinity site. So it's very much, here's some testimony. You can choose to believe it or not. What's the difference going to be with the, the project you're doing around the Brazilian incident? Given it was the, the mid-90s, there's going to be testimony. There'll be interviews. You know, you've spoken to these witnesses. What are you going to be able to put in front of people to say, but here's why you should believe it. Here's why this happened. You know, I, I steered clear of the Trinity incident, not because I didn't believe the witnesses, but there were only two of them. Um, I think one of them was 15 at the time. The other one was like 11, something like that. I, I Don't quote me on that. But I, but I met them and I was quite impressed. I, I really believed that they believed what they were saying. And they took me to the site and everything. Very vivid detail um, about the beans and the craft, what the craft looked like. Um, if you look at Roswell, you have no one person that really tells you the whole story. You have the mortician, Glenn Dennis, who talks about his interaction with the military. You have, um, you know, uh, the, the, the daughter of the police officer, Wilcox, you know, talking about what, what she knew. And you kind of have to put the pieces together, right? Yeah. Um, it's very similar with uh, the Virginia case. Um, I have uh, some very compelling interviews with military people 
um, the eyewitness testimonies in broad daylight. Um, proximity to the beans is uh, 10 feet, um, or you'd say three, three meters. Um, uh, some documentation. Um, people that handled the creature talking to their family members. Uh, people that were directly at the crash site, going to the crash site, talking to the farmers, talking to the man that came across the, the wreckage, talking to the uh, uh, farmers that that that's heard their animals going crazy at two o'clock in the morning and ran outside and saw this thing in distress, no wings, no tail, no you know, no sound, um, and you kind of have to put the pieces together and uh, you know. Will we come back with a photograph of one of the beans? I'm going to do everything I can. Can I guarantee it? Absolutely not. But I'm going to try. But I will tell you that it's the collection, the preponderance of compelling testimony that makes a very powerful story. Now, at the end of the Phenomenon documentary, we we hear testimony from the school children. Um, as they were children then from Zimbabwe and as they are adults now. And that was lucky that we've got that footage from from the time so we can actually see the children as they were after the incident and the drawings they were making. Yeah. This had a big impact on people and I've got, you know, I've I've got followers on Twitter I can follow and read comments and read reviews and it had that impact. But the big thing for me was my wife isn't necessarily interested in this topic, okay? It's aliens and UFOs to her. But she 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 knows I enjoy it and it's a passion of mine. I I showed her that piece after I had watched the documentary the first time and I was like, watch this and watch these kids and she thought that was incredible. So for me, if that has an impact on someone who has no interest in the subject, not that they believe or disbelieve, then it must have had an impact on other people. Did the reaction like that from the end of the phenomenon to the Zimbabwe incident have any sway in you following up on the Virginia incident as what you were going to do next? Yeah, well, you know, I have video testimony from 1996 of the witnesses on camera, and they were young women. Um, and then I have them as adults, you know, uh, how long ago would that have been? 1996, boy, 20, uh, what, 25 26 years, 25, yeah, 26 wow. years. Yeah. So I, so we have testimony with them just like we do in Africa, uh, on camera discussing what they'd seen within, a you know, days or less. And then we have, uh, this interviews with the same people in modern day as adults, talking about it like it happened yesterday, going to the exact spot where they'd seen the, the, the creature. You know, you got like witnesses in town, like you could literally go to the town of Virginia, I've done it, and knock on doors and just start asking questions. And I remember the audio guy that was with me from, he was from like Rio. He, he looked at me and he was like, are you, you know, you can't just go knocking on people's doors. I was like, well, why not? And and we found more witnesses. We found more people be like, yeah, the whole town was covered with, you know, they surrounded the whole town with, with military trucks. They literally cordoned off the entire village, you know? And so you get little pieces of testimony from all these different witnesses. And, uh, and you know, the, 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 the picture is pretty obvious what happened. That's, that's really good to hear those comparisons from what we saw in the Zimbabwe incident and we've got the footage from then and now. What what I'm going to ask is you've you've got beings running around this town supposedly, which is incredible to, to think of. 
why do you think an incident like this can happen in the first place? Do you have any idea as to how an object has come to land or crash there? And then why we've had beings exposed to the general public? What's actually happened to cause that? I have no idea. Are you hoping to find out? I Yeah, you know, um, I did hear, and this is something I'm going to try to get, you know, because I, I, if I hear speculation or uh, conjecture, I don't use it in the film. I'll, I'll never do that. I mean, there were aspects, things that I'd heard that I didn't feature on every film I've ever done. Because if I can't really prove it, like, for, I'll give you an example, Men in Black. You know, people, it's got... It's got a lot of baggage now when you say men in black, but I'm tell you, I heard stories of men in suits uh, so many times, 12 years in, you know, and I just dismiss it. And I think the last time I heard it, I was in Brazil actually. And I heard it in the Virginia case from a mother of the, of the witnesses. And there was no way this woman was lying to me. I finally was like, wow, that's compelling. I didn't include it in the movie. You know, because you you can't really prove these things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But you could put together compelling testimony from enough people, and it paints a pretty uh, remarkable picture. And that's what we're going to do with Virginia. And look, I know there's evidence. I know there's photographic evidence. I know there are government documents. And and you can take it to the bank that I'm going to do everything I can to come back with some of that. Everything I can. But these it's hard. And I've heard you say in a previous interview, and I can quote you on this word for word, it's credibility, credibility, credibility. And that's that's important. And that's why the phenomenon stood out for me. And I've said this before on the podcast, I don't pander. It, it's the go-to piece for anyone who is interested in the subject or wants to get interested in the subject. I would show them that. And from there, they can move on to their own research, their own findings, you know, check out podcasts, check websites, go on forums. Um, There are other filmmakers and other documentary filmmakers. I'm going to come to those in just a moment because I've got some questions about more modern time. But when can we expect to see the Virginia Incident uh, Project released? Oh, it's coming out early next year. Are we going to get a theatrical release? Is that the hope? I know that never happened with the phenomenon, but you really hoped it would. You know, it's only one case, so I doubt it. Yeah, I doubt it. But I, I tell you, we, we got written up in like, I think it was Variety. Um, and we've had inquiries from every distributor, um, you know, streaming. I mean, like everybody's interested. So we'll see. You know, I'm going to do the best I can. It's going to be, it's just one case. I'm just, it's just, you know, it's like doing a piece on Roswell, right? But it's the Roswell of Brazil. So um, I'm going to crank it out. Uh, you know, this will be, believe it or not, the fourth time and the, Jesus, 10, yeah, 10 years. I've been going back and forth to Brazil investigating this case on and off for 10 years. Can you believe that? That's, that's a lot of work. That's a long time as well. And I'm Listen. knocking on doors and, I mean, I'm not kidding you. When I tell you I go down and I investigate something, I did the same thing with Socorro. I spent five years on Socorro. Not every day, but going back and developing relationships and getting trust. It's what it takes. 
Well, I would love to see even a, a one-off screening in the UK next year. Uh, maybe get you over, you know, a Q&A afterwards, if I can yeah. help organize that and get a big I, enough I, venue. I am, People would travel I, I would for that. I would love to do that. No, I would love to do that. And, and, and I want to crank out as much content as I can because I feel that there's a tremendous amount of momentum that we need to take advantage of. There's a lot going on. We need to keep pushing. This is not the time to let up. Do you know what I mean? Yes. We've had a level of confirmation from the government. A lot of people felt that it was a big nothing burger. I didn't feel that way. I thought this was, in fact, I didn't think. I know that this is unprecedented. Um, so would I like to see more? Absolutely. I think we need to keep the pressure on with our representatives. There's just so much to to, to do, you know. Um, I was also doing a... It, it, um, I started a UAP Act Now website where people for free uh, could go online. I built a template message. I used. Uh, I worked with Elizondo and Chris Mellon. We put together a message. Um, it's got to be updated because it's you know, the, the preliminary report has been released. Um, but we want to continue that effort as well because um, representatives need to hear from their constituents. Uh, and to know that you know we're watching and we're we're waiting and we're wanting them to perform. I mean, could you imagine um, this coming out? Could you imagine the government producing the type of evidence that people like Neil deGrasse Tyson has been saying is is missing? They've got it. Believe me, they have it. Um, uh, I, I would love to see that happen. And I and I feel that. I think it could happen, and I think it could happen soonish. I really do. When I say soonish, in the next few years, I, I feel like if we can keep the pressure on, that that we could that it could happen. Now, there's a few things I'm going to talk to you about on that sort of subject, but listeners sent me in questions, and I want to give them the credit for it as well. So I'll I'll leave those questions till they come up. I want to ask you though. You're right. We've got a, a wave of momentum. I feel we're on. If it's a bit of a roller coaster since the task force report dropped, we're probably on the going back down or, or coming back up slightly on the peaks because there was a wave and a build up and the report came out, it had its impact and it was very much a, a personal thing. For me, it was it was huge and it was a big next step what was in there and people just have to take a step back and realise that and I think they will in time. There are other people though, like yourself, um, namely Jeremy Corbell makes documentaries on, on a similar subject certainly has a different tone and style and approach to you and that includes within the media jeremy seems to be he enjoys hype he has a different approach to to bringing out news how do you view someone like jeremy corbell who produces content like you and is and has in his possession evidence or videos that are being leaked to him and he's putting them out there for, for everyone to digest is he doing it in a positive way for you or is it an approach that you're not keen on you know there's so much mudslinging in this field um, I have my thoughts and feelings about a lot of other researchers um, at the end of the day, I have to remind myself that I'm not them. And uh, everyone has a slightly different approach. Everyone has a slightly different belief. Um, 
we have to remind ourselves to suspend those judgments and focus on a common goal together because we can be our own worst enemy. And, uh, you know, I think the government probably laughs at some point because we're, there's so much mudslinging going on internally. It's like, we're not, you know, and so I generally steer clear from making any, any comments, uh, publicly about someone else's work because I get criticized. People feel like I don't go far enough. People feel like I just do rehashed stuff. They don't understand what my objectives are and that's fair enough. Uh, and they're entitled to their opinion. Um, Sometimes it's a little painful because you think they just don't know who I am and what I'm trying to do. I've always been very clear that I want to put together a body of evidence that I feel can um, sway the general public's opinion on the topic because uh, you, you simply cannot put forth anything without assuming that you're presenting to a jury in a court of law. Um, if it doesn't have enough evidence and it doesn't have to be hard evidence, like a, like a photograph or, you know, but enough evidence to get someone to really take a second look, then you shouldn't put it out there. And that's how I feel, but not everybody feels that way. Um, there are personal beliefs I have that I would never share publicly because I can't prove it. And it would it, it might discredit me in some people's eyes. And so I have to be very conservative. I mean, this is the first movie, and I've talked about this in the past, where uh, I feature close encounters of the third kind. I mean, that's, you know, witnesses reporting beans. That's a pretty slippery slope. Uh, and I knew that. And I was worried about that. Um, so anyway, I, you know, so, you know, Jeremy's got his style. Um. Uh, George Knapp has his style. I have massive respect for George, George Knapp. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people that, that really enjoy what, what Jeremy's doing and how he's presenting. And that's great. Um, I happen to have a different style and, and I think that's great too. So, you know, let, let me follow up on that and ask you then, cause that's, a, that's a fair response. Have you been approached by anyone within, you know, the military or otherwise to, get footage out there or get a message out there and it would seem from from what you've done and your actions that you you wouldn't have done that or is that not something you've ever came across i would be yes i have worked with some people where i was going to release some footage this is a while ago it's kind of a long story but um i would be concerned about attaching myself and reputation to some footage that was provided to me by someone that I don't have a deep relationship with because that could easily discredit your efforts. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I would be wary of, of any, any, anything. I, 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 look, if I knew the pilot uh, who shot it and, you know, we were good friends, the different story, but, um, some, uh, relatively anonymous source, uh, it could be, a, it could be, uh, a setup. It could be, uh, a goal to discredit. I mean, believe me, that stuff goes on. Right. Yeah. And it only takes one, you know, like I remember when I finished out of the blue, I kicked myself for it to this day. 
I was reading a review in TV Guide, and this guy said he got the date wrong on when Mercury astronaut Gordon Cooper went to space. I, and I did. I think I got the year wrong or the month wrong. And he's like, so basically you can flush this whole film down the toilet. That's basically what he was saying, you know, which is obviously not the case, but, but still it didn't look good. Right. Yeah. You, you don't want to make mistakes like that. And, and uh, so you have to be very careful. I, I believe um, when it comes to that kind of evidence to, to, you know, just be careful. And it would be remiss of me not to ask here because some people will be thinking it. Has anyone ever approached you recently with a picture of a black triangle that's come out the ocean or a piece of footage? No, but I talked to the person who's seen it. And? He says it's extraordinary. He said it was absolutely extraordinary. Like it's right there. It's big. And it went from sea level to space, uh, which I guess 80,000 feet. Yep. Um, in the blink of an eye and it went vertical access just straight up. Yeah. I, I think he said it was the size of a football field. I believe that's what he said. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, can we get this photograph released? Like what, you know, but there's a lot of pressure from the government being put on this individual. I'm told a lot of pressure. And so that could be, yeah, it probably will leak at some point. Hopefully someone like yourself. And listen, on that, before we get to listener questions, James, because I want to get through as many of them as we can in the time we've got left, who are some of your go-to people for news? Who in this subject do you respect, appreciate, and those are the people for you that give the best information? Jacques Vallée. George Knapp. Leslie Kane. Stanton Friedman. I'm trying to think. I mean, it's a good list so far. Yeah. Gary Nolan, obviously. Um, Chris Mellon. Lou Elizondo. Um, I mean, I've hung out with Lou Elizondo, and I've met his wife and uh, spent time at his house. And uh, I, I see how it affects him when he gets criticism. Um, you know, he's like, why, you know, why am I sacrificing so much? Uh, you know, what, what's the point, you know, kind of thing. He takes it kind of personally. But I've seen, you know, what he's doing. And I've talked with, with Senator Reid about Lou Elizondo and about the program. And, um, uh yeah, it's hard. You know, you, you get criticized. I mean, you put yourself out there in the public and you get criticized. And I had some guy the other day and I, you know, I, I don't engage, but he was like, oh, James is a, a government, um, what did he say? Kook or inside, uh, something that was just like. Disinfo so agent, psyops guy, all yeah, that stuff. And yeah. I was just like, oh my God, like I could not be more independent. Are you kidding me right now? But you know, you put yourself out there and this is what happens. It's... Well, listen, there's a lot of people who do appreciate people like Lou, Chris, yourself and what you're doing. And they've got in touch with a whole load of questions for you. Um, okay. So the first one, James, I've got from Kyle, 
Kyle yeah. is a big fan of yours and is Brazilian and wants to know, uh, with the upcoming documentary, have you managed to dig up anything new regarding the alleged Virginia E.T. autopsy? Oh. We have some leads. Um, there are people, doctors, that we are trying to get to come forward. We have their ear, but we don't yet have, it's, it's kind of like, you know, um, some of them are considering doing it if we disguise them or blur their face out. Mm -hmm. Um, so we are in negotiations about that. There's other evidence that we know about. Um, we're going to come prepared with the resources to to acquire stuff if that's the case and i'm also staying there for a month because it takes time to uh it, it takes time i need to be there and i need to be stationary i need to sit there and wait and 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 ask questions and, uh, and that's what we're doing so um we'll do everything we can is all i can tell you Awesome. Uh, Chris wants to know whether you are happy about the pace at which the destigmatization of the subject is happening. Yeah, very happy. I know because I've been laughed at for so long. I have family abroad in, in England and in France and Switzerland and Italy uh, who used to laugh at me, honestly. And they don't laugh at me anymore at all. In fact, quite the contrary. They're fascinated by it, and uh, they're 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 yeah they're paying attention. So and that happened pretty much from the end of 2017 when when that uh, ATIP program was revealed on the front page of the New York Times. So am I happy with the with the speed? Yeah, I think it's moving pretty quickly now. I'd like to see it continue to move quickly. Uh, Chris also had a follow-up, and he wants to know just how profound a moment was it talking to the adults who, as children, witnessed the incident in Zimbabwe? Most amazing uh, time in my life. That was one of those moments that you'll remember on your deathbed. That's how amazing it was. Awesome. Uh, Luke has a really good question, and it touches on something that you touched on just before. Um, so in the past, you have said words to the effect of you don't want to touch on anything that was too out there uh, with the Phenomenon movie to maintain the credibility by not looking at cases which extend beyond close encounters of the third kind. Luke wants to know if you were to make a movie relating to close encounters of the fourth kind and other out there aspects of the phenomenon, are there any cases you feel are the most important that you could portray in a serious manner to the public? I'm open to it. Um, I'm open to it. I'm open to it. I've been thinking about that. Um, and it's a maybe at this point. You know, I was shocked, to be quite honest with you, that not only did the high-level government officials featured in the phenomenon not ask to be edited out, but instead publicly endorsed it. That was kind of a shocker for me. Because I got to tell you, I had many sleepless nights you know, thinking about, because there were, you know, the 
the Podestas and the Re- Senator Reed and and Bill Richardson, government government governor, governor Bill Richardson, <clears throat> Department of Energy. Um, they don't sign releases until they see the finished product, and so that's just the way it is, right? Um, and so I was like, I mean, we're talking several years. <laughs> I was stressed. Because I was like, you know, what am I going to do if I finish this thing and then I can't release it because they want to be cut out, you know? So I was, so I, I guess I did it. I guess I, I pushed it just far enough with the phenomenon and I got away with it. How and, far I'll push it next time, I don't know yet. And just on that, I have to mention because you talked about this on Jimmy Church, but if people haven't listened to that, loads of people have asked about the phenomenon potentially getting onto Netflix. Yes. Am I right in saying you're in negotiations with a major streaming network? Or, or several, and yes, that's hopefully several. going to happen at some point. Several. Several, yes. Yes. Cool. Uh, so there, there you go. Yeah, yeah, several, yeah. Cool. So it might be a Prime Network. It might be a Netflix oh, network. Yeah, it no, could it, be... It, it, yeah, it's very good. You know, um, uh, we'll know a lot more in about a month, maybe a little less. Cool. There's a good timeline for you. So hopefully yeah. August, September. And we we have the offers on the table. We're just trying to make our best move. You know, when sometimes you get an offer and it doesn't make financial sense. I I don't do this for the money, but I'm not going to give something away. I worked so hard on this film, I thought I was going to die. And I I don't say that lightly. I'm not trying to sound like a drama queen, but um, it was... It was so hard. It felt impossible at times. Uh, many times, it, I was like, "This, this, I can't believe how hard this is. Like, this is ridiculous." You know what I mean? Listen, the and, the effort shows in the final product. That's that's done, and that's that's there now for everyone to see. So, and people appreciate that. And I've said before, and I've I've said this to death, but people like yourself have got families that are affected by the work you do, positively yeah. and negatively. So, all of that combined. Do you know what? If people do make some money out of the work they put into this, then that's got to be a byproduct. Like people have to make a living and now you're going to spend a month away from the family. Yeah. In Brazil, that's not free. That costs you money and time and time you don't get back with your son uh, and your wife. So all, all that's got to be taken into consideration by by any normal sane person. I was so broke was probably about six and a half years ago. I was about a year into the thing. I All the money dried up. My royalties from other films dried up. I had no bank account because I owed a lot of money to back taxes. And I was laughing. I was becoming a dad and I was like, I've never been so broke. I just can't believe this. I couldn't even afford to live in the house that I bought because I was renting it out. And um, I put my family's security um and my son's you know security on the line and I, I won't do that again but i did it and i pulled it off but i tell you it was very precarious for a while i mean i was running money that i was raising through my partner rebecca's account because i didn't have a bank account i mean that's to give you an idea yeah. um um and you know thank god it paid off but it might not have do you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> but but it did, and you can, you can laugh about it now. L- listen, yeah, it did. It Tyler's did. got Woof. Tyler's got a question. It? Yes, it was worth it. But was it? Would I do it again? Oh, <laughs> I don't want to do that again. I don't want to go through that again. <laughs> Hopefully, don't you don't want. you don't have to. Oh, uh, God. 
Tyler wants to know, um, he says, kind of a silly question, but I quite like it. If James had access to a magic crystal ball that would let him view any UFO case in a third-person view, which case would you choose and why? Socorro. I've got a follow-up on that down the line as well. 1964, Socorro, New Mexico, April 24th, 5 p.m., sun setting in the desert. Because I know so much about the case now, and there are unanswered questions because the witness is dead, uh, Lonnie Zamora, and I spoke with his wife and his daughter and his co-workers and his son, and there is so much more to that case that I didn't include in the film, and that is the symbol on the side of the craft, the metal shavings from the landing gear in the ground, the look that the being gave him when he called out, thinking that it was an overturned car in a gully down in Arroyo. Um, his wife said to me, boy, he must have seen something that really shook him up because he was never the same after that. And I read letters uh, from his personal archive that I didn't include in the movie, some of which, that indicated that he was calling out, like, hey, are you guys okay? You know, kind of thing. And one of them turned and looked him right in the eyes, and there was something transmitted to him that he never shared with anybody. Boy, would I like to know what that was. And that's one of those things that no one's ever going to know, more than likely. I know, but- and he locked, he locked eyes with one of those beings, and there was something. There was some sort of exchange. But I'll never know. Not in this life. Uh, Mike has the question. He wants to know, are there any cases that you want to cover or you wanted to cover but couldn't get a witness to go on record? Oh, God. Yeah, well, um, O'Hare. Night, uh, sorry, 2006 um, in, uh, at the O'Hare Airport, um, Chicago. And I spoke with witnesses, people employees of United Airlines. And they're like, well, unless you want to pay my salary until I retire, I'm not going for coming forward. I said, what do you mean? They're like, I'll lose my job with 100% certainty. So that there was that. Um, I'm just trying to think other cases where witnesses wouldn't come. I mean, it happens on every case. Might Can not. I just ask though? I've I've got to, and I want to get to some more questions, but really quickly yeah. on that Chicago incident, two thousand six. That's that's obviously fifteen years ago. It's pretty modern. Why is there so little, if any, footage or photographic evidence of that incident? Because the few things that appear online, people tend to say that it's it's fake or or CGI. So I'm not sure I've ever seen legitimate footage or photographic evidence from it. Well, I know for a fact that a photograph was taken. It was either by a pilot or it was a United Airlines guy on the ground because I I have the FAA tapes talking about the fact that the fo- there was a photograph of it taken. And I've spoken to some of the witnesses about it, but that photograph, just like many others, disappeared. That's frustrating, especially with a modern case. Oh, yeah. A modern you, incident. You, you have no idea. If you and I wanted to talk about evidence disappearing... We could talk until the sun comes up. We'll do that on the next one. It's so frustrating. It's like, I can't even like, you know, I won't talk about it in my movies because it's like, you know, who's going to believe me? But I'm telling you, 
I've gotten so close to so much evidence. I've talked to so many witnesses. My God, it's you wonder why you see Jacques Vallée cradling those metal bits. I was like, Jacques, what is wrong with you? Like he was like this everywhere he walked inside that lab. And I said, Jesus, Jacques, you're looking awfully paranoid. And he said, these things have a strange way of disappearing. And he's right. Now, he's very right. Erin has a good question, and it touches back on earlier on, you, you made a comment, and I made a point of writing it down and not bringing it up at the time. You have an inkling as to what it is, as in the phenomenon, or, or what it may be. Um, she wants to know, after so many years of research and interviews on the topic, what is your gut feeling about the intention or purpose of UFOs here on Earth? I think that there is an omnipresent intelligence that's around us all the time. And it has the ability to manifest itself in a multitude of ways. Um, sometimes I think that it could appear in a way that allows the witness to barely comprehend, like just about comprehend. And it always seems to stay just ahead of us. Um, Jacques talks about the fact that they are tricksters. They have a sense of humor. Um, you know, I look at the UFOs and nukes connection, and it's like taking matches out of the hands of a baby, right? Uh, the 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 the, the the, the messages that they provided the children in Africa about environmental destruction and stuff, you know, the fact that when Travis Walton was dropped off and I went to that site where he was taken. And let me tell you, man, you want to talk remote? It's remote, remote, especially back in 1970, whatever it was, 75. Um, and I think about the fact that they dropped him off five days later on the outskirts of town. They didn't put him, they didn't drop him off where they picked him up. He would have died. They dropped him off right on the outskirts of town in a little, like a valley, like a dip, right on the outskirts, close enough where he'd be okay, but minimizing any potential for their exposure, right? So, you know, you look at what they do and you look at what they don't do. And that, that says a lot. And when you say they, are you talking about an intelligence that is all one set of beings, all with the same goal? Because for me, that's where it's yeah surely can't be in this topic because you yeah. hear so many different things. Yeah, no. In fact, we, at one point we considered the title All of the Above because we thought, you know, it's probably all of the above. It's probably extraterrestrial, interplanetary, interdimensional. It's probably all of the above. Probably. Probably. And then it could be none of those and something else altogether. And it could be none of those and something else altogether. I know. It's, it's right. Which is Anybody who says they know, they don't know. <laughs> yeah, that, that could be the title for the phenomenon too. Anyone who says they know, they don't. Uh, <laughs> Listen, there was a few more listener questions that we'll get to another time. I'll keep them for you, James. I do just want to finish off very quickly with a quick fire round. I've got a couple of names and topics that you can give as little or as much of a response to as possible, and then you can go on with the rest of your evening. Um, the first one is Bob Lazar. 
I, I met Bob Lazar probably in the mid-90s and at a conference. Very brief. It's so funny. I've got a, a film strip in my head about it. And I walked up to him and I shook his hand and I thanked him for coming forward. And he said, well, I didn't have a choice. And uh, I've always believed that Bob Lazar believes what he's saying. Do I think there's a possibility that he was used unwillingly or unwittingly uh, to spread some disinformation coupled with accurate information? I think it's a possibility, definitely. But I believe that he believes what he's saying. That's just my take. Jeremy Corbell knows a lot more about him. That's just my take. Can I just ask, you know what you said there about Bob Lazar, believing what he's saying, but there may be a mix of truth and disinformation in there. Would you say the same about Tom DeLong? Probably. Just yeah. curious. Um, yeah, probably would. Yeah. So on that, my, my next one was going to be to the Stars Academy. Hmm. Your thoughts? Well, you know, a lot of great people, part of it, you know. I think um, uh, Semivan and, and Put-Off and Mellon and uh, Lou, um, you know, very qualified, uh, incredible people, incredible. What about um, now those people aren't there? You know, and it's, so, and it's like uh, – it's so easy for any one of us to sit on the outside and criticize someone else's efforts. You know, it's so easily, it's so easy to do. I've done it myself. Um, but um, they, they did some extraordinary things, whether you like them or respect them or not, you know, look, look at us talking about the Tic Tac, look at what Chris and Lou did getting that evidence out of the Pentagon. Um, look at what Leslie Kane did and getting that story on the front page of the New York Times. Uh, these are big steps. These are big moves. And so uh, love them or hate them, uh, TTSA, I, I think, did some big things. Um, what's your favorite UFO or phenomenon documentary that isn't your own? Probably, um, I know what I saw. I'm kidding. <laughs> 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 no, let me be serious. Uh, probably out of the blue. No, no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is just free advertising, though. <laughs> uh, no, let me think about it. I mean, that's a good question. I I've seen some good ones on on Roswell. Uh, UFOs, the best evidence, feels a bit dated, but that was I was definitely liked that one at the time. Um, there, there must be another one I'm, I'm overlooking. I, I can't really, you know. I, I'll go with you. I'll go with what I'm you gonna said. Be, I'm going to be frightfully honest. To me, it seemed so painfully obvious what needed to happen in terms of a documentary on the topic. Um, I'll repeat something that you quoted me on earlier. Credibility, credibility, credibility. And um, because the stories themselves are so extraordinary that you don't need to add any kind of like 
green smoke or alien faces, you know, unless it's the witness drawing them. Um, let, let me ask you, James, yes or no, has the best UFO documentary been made yet? To date? Yeah, including your own body of work. Do you think the, at, the, no, at the end of all of this? Are the better ones coming? Yeah, I'd like to outdo myself. I mean, um, I mean, I'm part, you know, I'm biased, right? I, I love the phenomenon. I think I did a great job. And it was a team effort. I had a lot of great people working with me to make it happen. It's not, you know, wonderful people. My God. Um, you got to surround yourself with people that are more better qualified than you are, right? You, you got to do that. Um, but I think that one thing that does excite me is that the phenomenon set the bar for other productions to take it more seriously and report on it more seriously. And so I'm really hoping that that, yeah, feeling like it's, 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 it's elevating the topic, it's elevating the conversation, it's elevating the narrative. So that excites me. Uh, is the best one? To, I hope not. I think there's going to be better stuff coming down the pike and i'd like to outdo myself if i could <laughs> i'll <Yeah>. try <laughs> I, I don't think the phenomenon raised the bar i think it made a new bar and that's that's the standard bearer so you've you've got to outdo that yourself listen <laughs> two, two more the first one is do you prefer the term ufo or uap ufo ufo everyone says ufo yeah but but i but i get it i totally get it it, it makes more sense with UAP, but a lot of people are like UAP. Like I say, UFO. Oh, right, yeah, no, yeah. Right. But do you know what? Funnily enough, say, say if you say UAP, it gets you into the conversation about UFOs easier than seeing yeah. UFO. That's yeah, what I oh, find. No, totally, and I say UAPs now. I say it, but I'm still adjusting. I get it. Uh, I get it. UFOs has baggage. It's less accurate because it's a phenomenon. You know what I mean? Because it's not just un unidentified flying objects. It's unidentified aerial phenomenon. Maybe it's not an object. Maybe it's, you know what I mean? I get it. It's more accurate. It doesn't have any baggage. I totally get it. But I like and UFOs. Finally, James, finally, what does disclosure mean to you? I don't think it's going to happen in the way that people describe disclosure. I don't think there's going to be the president standing up. I, I don't see it that way. I feel like I have to take you back to my conversation in front of Parliament in England, in London, with Nick Pope when he was still with the MOD. And I said to him, do you anticipate any type of government disclosure? It's like probably 2007, maybe, something like that. 2000, yeah, probably 2007. I don't know if he was actually still working. I think he was still working for the MOD. But in any I, case, I, I think I think he was gone from them by that point. Oh, was he? Okay. Yeah. Well, we were walking in front of the park. We were walking in front of front of uh, parliament at the time, a beautiful shot. And he said to me, you know, James, it's not going to be disclosure with a big D. It'll be disclosure with a small D. And I kind of feel like that's what's happening now because if you think about it, they've admitted that these things are real. They've admitted that they don't believe it's us. In other words, the United States. And they think it's extremely unlikely that it's the Russians or the Chinese. So that's kind of a big deal, I think. I, I would agree with that. James, uh, we will have to do a follow-up to this when you've got time and when you've got more to update us on. How can people follow you and follow your work? Oh, um, 
Well, they, uh, the phenomenon film.com. And if you guys, if anyone wants to watch the documentary, I don't know. I think it's Vimeo and iTunes are the only two sites that actually, uh, if you, if you, if you rent it or buy it, um, that provide, I think it's like three hours of bonus material. I, I mention this because when I don't mention it, people go, why didn't you tell me? I went out to watch your movie and I, I, I actually bought it and I didn't get any bonus material. I'm like, I'm sorry. I, I didn't think about it. I didn't realize. So now I make a point of telling people, if you do buy it, if you rent it, just rent it from the cheapest place you can rent it from. But if you buy it, uh, get it from iTunes or Vimeo and you get three hours of free material for the same price. Awesome. That's yeah. great. Listen, James, uh, best of luck in Brazil. And we look forward to obviously hearing what happens and in, in future updates from you. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access the shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little Imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself. And I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head. And everything was weird and everything was red. I called up my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems. And I think I should see because it doesn't really scare me. If you really want to know who I think they be, I think it's you and me and us and we and him and her and that and she and that thing over there and what's that, Jake?